I'm Jeff Ebert, and welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's good news for imperfect people like you and me. So glad that you've decided to join in this uh, edition. We're still in our walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But first, I just want to say welcome and thank you to some new supporters that we have for the podcast, Andrew, Dillis, and John. Thanks so much for signing up and uh, supporting me and what I'm trying to do here with this podcast. If you're interested in being a supporter, you can find out how to do that in the program notes. But I do have to tell you, the hosting platform I use, Anchor, it doesn't share any personal information on supporters with me, only the names. So if you're a new supporter, I want to include you on my weekly emails. So if you do become a supporter, please send me your email address so I can be in connection with you. The easiest way to do that is just to go to my website, jeffebert.com, click on the contact me link, and you'll send be able to send me an email right away. So please do that so I can connect with you, and that way I can send you the weekly emails that I send out to all supporters. So that's jeffebert.com. And if you have any questions or comments or things you'd like to share with me about how this um, podcast is impacting you and your faith, you can also do that through just messaging me through jeffebert.com. So today is Season 3, Episode 7. It's a second go-through on the last half of Ecclesiastes Chapter 5. going to be reading verses 13 through 20. The title is Loving Mondays, God's Wisdom for Your Work. So let's turn our hearts to Scripture right now. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs, and what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. And then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives anyone wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of heart. Mondays. How do you feel about Mondays? Do you hear yourself saying, hey, I get to go to school. I'm so excited. I'm not sure that's what your kids say when they hit Monday morning. Or maybe you're saying, I'm ready to hit the ground running for another week of family activities. You know, just paint mom's taxi on the side of the minivan. Or maybe you're thinking, I can't wait to get to work and check all those emails and respond to all those requests. And maybe you're looking forward to that commute. Such a special time when you become close to the people around you, especially on a crowded subway, bus, or a highway. Or if you're working from home. Are you looking forward to all those hours you'll spend in online meetings, dealing with customers or vendors or dealing with co-workers and all their personal and office drama? How do you honestly feel about Mondays? How often do you hear anyone say, I really love my job? These days, I don't hear people saying that very often. Instead, we have to psych ourselves up, get ready for another week, just going to kind of grind it out. 
When it comes to jobs, so many people feel stuck or bored or insecure or angry or unappreciated. For others, Monday means looking at another week of unemployment, wishing there was some place to go to, another week of uncertainty and financial strain. There are many people who are retired, and they're all wondering how will they fill up their time in a meaningful way, especially now that they're an FIP. That stands for formerly important person. Taking the work role away often means losing a big part of one's identity and security and really their sense of place in the world. Sure, the time will fill up, but is it just by watching TV or going to the mall? So whether you're working or you're retired, you still have to ask, what makes my time meaningful? Our culture says live for the weekends. Our motto is TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Have you ever heard yourself say, thank God it's Monday? It's a shame when we don't, because the time between Monday and Friday represents the majority of life. If we're just grinding it out each week, if we find no satisfaction or purpose in our work or vocation besides you know, just kind of putting in our time and picking up a paycheck, then inevitably we're going to feel frustrated and unfulfilled. As followers of Christ, how do we take Christ with us throughout the week? How do we learn to love Mondays? Well, first of all, we have to tear down this division that seems to exist between the sacred, sacred and the secular. To tear down that wall because so many people think are, they're kind of stuck living as though they live in two completely separate worlds, the sacred and the secular. And those two, two worlds don't seem to be related to each other at all. The sacred world is the world of church and Bible and God and higher ideals and lofty thoughts and heaven and ethics and values. That's one world. Then there's a secular world, and that's real life. That's where the rubber meets the road, and it's dog-eat-dog. -dog. It's the practical side of life. Often those two worlds don't seem to have anything to do with each other. The sacred doesn't seem relevant in the secular, and the secular has no place in the sacred. And so we're in this unfortunate position. It's like a person who has one foot on the dock and one foot on a rowboat. But the rowboat isn't tied up to the dock anymore, and they are slowly separating, drifting apart. There's no connection between the two. And many believers can't reconcile the world of their work with the other, the world of their faith. So people come to church on Sunday, and then they're glad to be there. They like the fellowship. They like the worship. But then on Monday, you know, you get plunged back into this world that seems so different. The rules are different. The values are different. The language is different. The expectations are different. You begin to feel like two entirely different people and that you act in maybe two different ways. It's a doggy dog world out there, often cutthroat, and bottom lines are merciless. So there is the person I want to be, and then there's the person I have to be. Have you ever felt that between your work and your faith? Two different sets of standards, the person I want to be and the person I have to be. So you feel guilty because you learn just to live with it, to live with that kind of uncomfortable tension because we think that's just the way it has to be. In contrast, the scriptures have a worldview that brings all things together. The Bible does not depict the Christian life divided into many little parts. It's a unified life, one of wholeness, in which we may single-mindedly serve the Lord even in our everyday work or vocation. Now, in that one world, things are either in harmony with God's purposes or not in harmony with God's purposes. But that's really the only kind of division. The liberating truth is that in Christ, God entered the secular world. 
He entered the secular world to show us that all of life is sacred. All of life is sacred. That's why he was born the way he was born and lived the way that he lived and had a career as a carpenter. I mean, he got his hands dirty. He had calluses. It was to help us to understand that God thinks the secular is sacred too. Let me say that again. God thinks the secular is sacred too. All of life belongs to God and comes from God. There's a great verse in 1 Timothy 4, verse 4, where Paul writes, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. All of life comes from God. The sacred surrounds the secular. They are woven together. They are not designed to be split into two parts. God is at work in the real world, in that real world. In fact, that's where he does his best work is in that real world. And the sacred separated from the secular becomes stuffy and out of touch and just kind of rote religious repetition. When the secular is separated from the sacred, it becomes cruel and self-centered, but it also becomes meaningless drudgery. A.W. Tozer, who was a great pastor in the early part of the 20th century, once wrote this. He says, and I quote, One of the great hindrances of the Christian's internal peace is this comet habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular. By this state of affairs is wholly unnecessary. We have gotten ourselves on the horns of a dilemma, but the dilemma is not real. It is a creature of misunderstanding. The sacred-secular antithesis has no foundation in the New Testament, unquote. In other words, there is no dilemma, there is no dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. The biblical life is not dualistic in this sense. There is no higher kind of life or lower kind of life. As the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. All of life belongs to God and comes from God. And so our sense of vocational satisfaction is greatly influenced by which worldview we're operating with. We're operating under the the two-world kind of dualism, so you're always going to be separating your life in Christ from real life. But when you adopt the biblical model of wholeness that sees all of life as secular, or I mean as sacred, that's the first step to learning to love Mondays. Begin to see all of life as a sacred gift from God. Secondly, when you realize that all of life is a gift, then you realize that you're called to your vocation. From God's point of view, there is only one world, and each person has a calling from God to serve him in that world, oftentimes through a vocation. Every believer has a calling from God. Every believer has a calling from God, not just clergy, not just missionaries, not just Sunday school teachers. Normally, when people hear about somebody having a calling, they think it means that they're being called to professional ministry called to being a professional Christian, you know, a preacher, teacher, missionary, something like that, some direct way of serving the Lord, and that that kind of calling is higher than what everybody else has to go through. It's special, more important than being a plumber or a CPA. That is not the biblical sense of calling. All believers are called, and all callings are equally spiritual. Let me say that again. All believers are called, and all callings are equally spiritual spiritual. Whether you're in professional ministry or you're teaching in high school or you work for an insurance company, your calling is from the Lord. And all callings are equally spiritual and equally significant in the eyes of God for your particular life. 
But you have to know that and look at your work that way. Even if you just drifted into your professional life without any planning or prayer, God still has a reason for you being where you are. Doesn't mean you have to stay there your whole life. Not at all. God wants us to develop our skills to get better at what we do and maybe take steps to find a different place to exercise your calling. I mean, I've worked in a lot of strange places over the years because sometimes, you know, there were gaps in my pay or I was in college and needed to have extra money. You know, I've worked in a plastics factory. I worked as a carpenter's assistant. I worked as a high school janitor. That was during seminary. That was fun. But God doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay where you are to fulfill your vacation. It might just be one step to another place that he wants you to go. So don't ever feel that just because you're in a vocation, you have to stay there forever. No, God wants you to develop and to grow and to use all of your abilities. And so your task might change over time. So the second key to loving Mondays is to realize that God has called you to your vacation. If you're in school right now, God's called you to school. That's your job. It's a special period of life of preparation. It's a time for you to learn and to grow, and God has appointed you for that purpose. That's your job. If God has called you to business, then that's God's purpose for your life now. Whatever area or place that might be with the particular people that you are around each day, God has called you to be, with, be there and to be with them for a reason. Or perhaps God has called you to be on the home front, to nurture your family, to provide a safe and loving environment for your children. Or maybe God has called you to the community through volunteering to have a significant impact in making our community a better place to live. Whatever your vocation, that is your calling, just as much as someone who is quote-unquote called to the ministry. Understanding and believing and embracing the fact that God has called you to where you are for a purpose is key to feeling satisfied in the work that you have received. Vocational callings will change over time. Understand that. People have different phases of life, from school to work to family to retirement. And so jobs will change, and there are factors in the economy and the larger world that may force some of those changes that we can't do anything about. And that's just part of life, too, that we have to be prepared for those kinds of things. Careers will transition. Most people start out in jobs they don't want to be doing five or ten years later. That's normal. You may move from one industry to another. Few people stay in the same spot their whole lives anymore. People can change careers four, five, six times these days. That's not just true among people who are in the secular professions, but in professional ministry, just the same as in other careers. In fact, something like 50% of people who graduate from seminaries five years later are no longer in professional ministry. It has one of the highest turnover rates of any profession. Without a sense of calling, even an exciting career will slow, slowly morph into something that is simply drudgery, boredom, and monotony. The sense of calling is the critical piece. Like a life-size jigsaw puzzle, when you get that final piece and you're able to put it in place, then the whole picture comes together. Having a sense of calling for your vacation can sometimes be the piece that's missing from your life. And people spend so much time in their vocation that if there is no sense of calling, it can feel like, what a waste, what a pain, what a frustration. No wonder what Solomon says, frustration and anger build up. People don't have a sense that there is a purpose for being where they are. You're just making money to pay bills, and that's just not any fun. So thirdly, we have to begin to develop a biblical view of work. 
Work is not just part of the curse of living in a fallen world. While in the garden, before the fall, Adam and Eve had good work. Their job was to tend the garden. Their job was to care for the animals. Their job, in a sense, was the administration of creation. That's no small job. That was good work that they did. It was part of the way God brought meaning to their existence by giving them good work. But sin did enter in, and sin had consequences. Adam and Eve lost this most meaningful work. They were laid off from the garden. They were no longer able to obey God perfectly, and sin pervades work like it does everything else in life. What can be a joy is sometimes also burdensome and filled with toil. Read Genesis 3.17 on that. We have to recognize what our vocations cannot do. Because work is a paradox. We have this desire for fulfilling work. It's part of our nature. But sin has warped those desires so that no earthly job can provide the fulfillment that people are really looking for. Work has tremendous potential for enjoyment. But our vocations will always be somewhat hollow apart from our commitment to Christ and his purposes. Your job can't do everything for you. Your job can't be everything for you. It can't bring you fulfillment. There are a lot of people who think once I reach a certain level, then I'm going to be happy in my profession. Once I'm a partner, once I feel like I finally made it. And then they do, and they don't. They don't feel the fulfillment, at least not for very long. One of the major conclusions of the book of Ecclesiastes is Psalm is writing at the end of his life, Having pursued all this and accumulated so much wealth, probably the wealthiest man in the world at his time, and he realized that work cannot be a substitute for a relationship with God. It's not a substitute for his family. And that he deeply regretted, regretted because he lost relationship with the Lord and with both his sons. There is no substitute. Work cannot fulfill those roles in our lives. We spend a good third of our lives in some kind of a work environment. Our jobs are essentially part of the laboratory of life in which God is expecting us to develop and to grow and to mature as people in Christ. As the challenges and circumstances and frustrations and temptations arise, work is one of the best ways to apply what we know about living righteously in an unrighteous world. Our jobs keep us in this laboratory of life, having to rub elbows and shoulders with people of different opinions and personalities and characteristics. And God is using us as his ambassadors, as salt and light, in all of these places, spread around into schools and factories and offices and and wherever they may go. He spreads his people around as an opportunity to be with people. And we need to rub shoulders with them because perhaps to be a witness to them about the grace and love of God. Also in the workplace is where we develop our character, character qualities like diligence and integrity and honesty, humility, godliness. You're never going to have to develop honesty if you're not placed in a position where maybe they're asking you to compromise your honesty. More than anywhere else besides our homes, our jobs will challenge us to live out that great verse from Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That takes place every week in the workplace. You see, God is more concerned about who you are and who you're becoming than about what you do. He's more concerned about who you are, your character as a child of God, than the particular job you have. 
Vast areas of scripture will never be meaningful to us unless we go through experiences for which they give insight. That's why God allows us to go through difficult jobs, have tough bosses, have hard things happen, and disappointment. Work doesn't have to be drudgery. We can learn to love Mondays. I think we can find greater satisfaction when we recognize that all of life is sacred, that God has called each one of us to a very meaningful vocation, and we begin to apply God's biblical principles to where he has us Monday through Friday. In the home, in school, in the workplace, wherever we might be, God is present and available to us. Enjoyment, satisfaction, happiness. Solomon is telling us that these do not come from our possessions, from riches, from popularity or fame. It doesn't come from the approval and admiration of others. Ultimately, it comes by being in sync with the Lord and his call on your life. Enjoyment comes by knowing the living God and taking everything from his hand with thanksgiving as a gift, even as we walk the path of both pain and pleasure. This is the gift of God. And may you experience gladness of heart this week through what God has called you to do and be. Have a good one.